Hi, I'm Red Mom Caitlin. And I'm Blue Mom Shelly. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Red Mom, Blue Mom podcast. We're two moms with opposing political views who enjoy talking about politics, current events, and social issues. We believe in the importance of dialogue to help us learn from one another, especially when we have differences of opinion. Our goal isn't necessarily to agree, but where we disagree, to keep talking. We hope we inspire you to have real conversations on important issues with people with whom you disagree. And we hope our legislators are doing the same. Let's get started. Shelley, and today we're going to talk about the latest controversial comments coming from our President Trump. Last week, the President tweeted something that has been widely controversial since. The tweet was about four Congresswomen, whom he has been very critical of, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, representing a district in New York, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and Ilhan Omar, representing Minnesota. They are progressive and left-leaning Congresswomen, and therefore strongly disliked by conservatives. They're also all women of color, and together they have been referred to as the squad. President Trump tweeted that they, quote, originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, parentheses, if they even have a functioning government at all. He went on to say the four congresswomen should, quote, go back and help fix the totally and broken and crime-infested places from which they came. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. Now, all of these women are American. Three of the four were born in the United States. Of the four, only Omar was born outside the U.S. She came here at age eight as a refugee. Ocasio-Cortez is from the Bronx. Tlaib was born in Detroit, Michigan. And Presley was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. So the tweet was inaccurate, at minimum misinformed. The fallout became more severe a couple days later, though, when at a rally in North Carolina, Trump supporters chanted, send her back, send her back, when he spoke of Ilhan Omar. He later tried to distance himself from the chant, but the next day said that those supporters were true patriots. Caitlin, I know you and I disagree on whether Trump is racist. I think he is, and you think he isn't. Did this tweet change your mind? Was the tweet racist? Oh, Trump. So it's certainly never a dull moment in a Trump presidency. And I think the tweets and the resulting firestorm last week has uh, shown that to be true yet again. But before we get into it, I just want to correct the record on a couple of things. The first is that in his tweet, he did not specifically name those Congresswomen. Um, I think the way that you presented it, it almost sounds like he named off AOC and Omar and others. He didn't. The starting point of his tweet said, so interesting to see progressive Democrat Congresswomen. Now, of course, you can make assumptions about who that is, but I just wanted to clear that up. But wait, wasn't he referring to, I guess, Nancy Pelosi in in the House had had some uh, negative interactions with the so-called squad, and wasn't he referring to those? Do you think he was referring to anyone other than these four women? No, no, I think he was, but I just want to make sure it's clear for our listeners that he didn't call those four out by name. And presumably there are other progressive Democrat congresswomen, they just don't have as much notoriety, certainly, as the squad. The second piece is, and I don't know if maybe you read a report that didn't um, fully show the text of the tweet, but I feel like there's an important piece that was missed. So the quote from the tweet says, 
why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly, you can't leave fast enough, so on and so forth. So I just want to make sure it's really clear that the missing piece I think that you didn't read in the tweet was the then come back and show us how it is done. But to answer your question, uh, no, I don't think Trump is racist. I think this is another example, as usual, where he is obnoxious, where he's clumsy with his tweeting, um, but I don't think he's racist. And I, I think as we use the word racist, which, which has been, been completely uh, bastardized in some ways, there's nothing in this tweet that is actually racist necessarily. I think you could argue that it's perhaps um, bigoted or perhaps xenophobic, um, but it's really not racist. So I don't think that that's a fair portrayal of Trump for this specific instance. What do you mean by bigoted but not racist? Well, racism is prejudice or discrimination based on the belief of one's own race is superior. This is not a racist tweet. Now, bigotry, of course, is intolerance towards those who hold a different opinion of themselves, or excuse me, a different opinion from oneself. And then xenophobia is maybe having prejudice against people from other countries. So they're very different words. I think many on the left and some on the right, perhaps, too, are quick to just apply this blanket term of racism to everything. But there's nothing in that tweet that says or indicates to me that Trump thinks that his race is superior than the races of those of those congresswomen. Do you interpret it differently? The opposite. I interpret it that that, that statement could only apply to people of color. Would he say, would President Trump say that to a white person? Well, again, he didn't call out those four women. He just said progressive Democratic congresswomen, of which there are many. Of no, all but colors. you know he was referring to the squad, right? I think so. That's certainly how it's evolved, and he was very uh, successful in getting them to respond. But how do you understand the term racism? I guess I, if you just look at his tweet for the words that are written, right? Well, no, where you are you seeing it's racist? You, you, certainly, to be racist, you don't have to say black people are bad. You don't have to use the race of the person in your sentence, right? Would you agree that there are lots of racist things that happen or that people do where the, the name of the race or a reference to the race is not in the, is the, in the sentence? But um, for me, the way I figure it out is you just say to yourself, would he say that to a white person? I mean, the president is himself a second generation immigrant. Uh, two of the women that he's married are immigrants. Um, the only difference between them and the four congresswomen is skin color. Uh, several people have opined that Trump equates being American with being white because, you know, how is it he's saying go back to where you came from to Americans? He wouldn't say that to Joe Biden, right? Or to someone else that he disagreed with who was white, right? He's only, the only way that he's able to say that is because they're people of color. The words are important here, and again, I think this idea of racism and what constitute race, what constitutes racism rather has become so overinflated. I mean, there are three races, right, that anthropologists recognize. There's Caucasian, there's Mongoloid, there's Negroid. So I guess I struggle with this kind of the left jump down the down the um, path of racism. I just think that that word has meaning. That word matters in the way it's defined just because you are Hispanic, as an example, and I am Caucasian or white, doesn't mean that we're not in the same race. I guess that's that's the piece that I'm getting caught up on. Sure, but Trump, hasn't he expressed that he, he views um, people of color differently than he views himself? How so? What, um, I don't know what you mean I by mean, that. I, I think he's got a history of being racist. 
His dad was arrested after attending a KKK rally in the Queens. Going back years and years, uh, the Justice Department had filed a, a racial bias lawsuit against him. Uh, against Trump or his dad? Against uh, his company, the Trump Organization for Mistreating Black Applicants uh, and Tenants, giving them different rental terms and conditions, telling African Americans that apartments weren't available when they were. Um, it was one of the largest lawsuits of its kind at the time. His former employees have reported that his casinos would remove African-American dealers if a white person so requested, uh, or if Trump entered the casino. After the Central Park Five, which is a, a group of young black men who were uh, convicted of rape in New York City, their convictions were overturned in 2002 after they had spent years in prison. DNA evidence showed they didn't commit the crime, uh, but Trump still continued to say, and I believe still says today, that he thinks the men are guilty. His lawyer, Cohen, testified under oath that together in a car when they were driving through a Chicago neighborhood, Trump said only blacks would live like this. Um, he's called black countries, shithole countries. Um, he's uh, asked for immigrants, why can't we have immigrants from Norway? He uses terms like the blacks, the Muslims, the Hispanics, which I think uh, connotes racism. He was a founder of the Obama birtherism movement. Remember when he insulted a Mr. Khan whose son was killed serving in the US military. A lot of people believe the Muslim ban uh, is racist, xenophobic. He has allowed Blacks and Hispanics to be mistreated at his rallies. And I have expressed my concern that he stokes this fear of immigrants. They're going to take over our countries. Our country, Mexicans are rapists, bad hombres. I'm sure you remember when he accused an American federal judge, who's an American citizen of Mexican descent, of being incapable of being fair to Trump's case because of his ethnicity. Uh, after the Charlottesville rally, with white supremacists. He said there were fine people on both sides. And he's even, you know, he accused in this tweet, in these tweets, uh, Representative Omar of being anti-Semitic. Just recently, he was at a, an event with a Jewish audience and he said, quote, I'm a negotiator like you folks, which is invoking a stereotypical um, statement with respect to, um, to Jewish people. I mean, he has a long history of these type of actions and saying these type of things. This tweet, in my opinion, was just a, oh, well, now nobody can deny it. This was, you know, one of the worst things he's ever said. You know, why, why would he need to use words connoting race to express racism? How isn't it racist that he says to Americans, three, four Americans, go back to the countries from which you came when, when he couldn't and wouldn't and never has said that about a white person? Well, you've put a lot out there. So that litany of what you perceive to be racial grievances that Trump has done, some of those things I haven't even heard of before. Obviously, I'm not prepared to talk about all those. I do just want to highlight, though, uh, so I, I guess my point is I'd like to see the source on those and, and kind of read the full context. I did want to mention on Charlottesville, though, because I think that Charlottesville example where he said, quote unquote, there are good people on both sides, that has been completely misrepresented. If you actually read the transcript, and I'll, I'll post this on redmombluemom.com, you can find it on. LA Times website and others. Um, it is crystal clear in his Charlottesville comments, and he says it again and again, how he condemns neo-Nazis, but his point was that it was not all of one group or another, meaning that on the far left side there were some bad people, on the far right side there were some bad people, but there were also people that had showed up to kind of peacefully protest, right, some of the, the taking down of Confederate statues, things like that. So, so that one, that example really bothers me because if you actually read 
read the transcript of what he said. It is not uh, kind of a, a white nationalism, pro-white supremacy example at wasn't all. It a, wasn't it a rally of white supremacists? But the, but the Charlottesville uh, incident, in, initially, my understanding was that it was um, a protest, a peaceful protest for taking down Confederate statues. And I think that Unite the Right organization, Richard Spencer, who was on CNN recently, um, so why they would have a white supremacist on their network, I'm not sure. But uh, Richard Spencer and his group kind of latched on to that event, and I think that's why it kind of morphed into some quote-unquote white supremacist rally. But I would encourage our listeners, I guess, read the transcript of those Charlotte, Charlottesville uh, comments from Trump. He was not saying that white nationalists or white supremacists are are good guys in any sense of the word. Um, So I just wanted to make that example um, crystal clear. I just don't think this is racism. I understand your perspective. Um, But frankly, I think the sentiment of what Trump was trying to say around, and he tried to clarify it the next day with his tweet, um, the tweet that we've been talking about was on July 14th. On July 15th, he tweeted out, he said, we will never be a socialist or communist country. If you're not happy here, you can leave. It's your choice and your choice alone. This is about love for America and certain people hate our country. And I think that sentiment is something that a lot of Americans agree with. And I would put myself in that bucket. These four congresswomen, uh, the squad, they have made it crystal clear that they don't really love the U.S. And I think there is racism, bigotry, xenophobia, anti-Semitism blatant from those four four members of the squad. Tell me what you mean. A couple of things you just said. I think that he has mischaracterized these women have never said anything about not loving America, and they've never said anything to imply that they don't love America. And I think it's the opposite when you're in Congress and you're trying to you're trying to enact policies that you care about to make our country better. It's it's the opposite of being un-American or not loving our country. And I I've never heard anything that any of them said that was racist. So sure, okay. What, so I've what, got some examples. Yeah. So Representative Ayanna Presley, who's a Democrat out of Massachusetts, July 14th. Her tweet was, we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need Muslims that don't want to be a Muslim voice. We don't need queers that don't want to be a queer voice. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it certainly seems that she's saying if you are brown skinned or black skinned or LGBTQ or Muslim, we don't want you as part of the conversation unless you think the right way unless you kind of fall in line with everybody else that is it that is inherently racist so that that to me is a very racist very discouraging comment for for a kind of a political party that talks about inclusivity or inclusivity rather and acceptance and and diversity that type of tweet in my view is the opposite of that don't you think she just meant she's referring i believe to the more centrist democrats with the disagreement began with Nancy Pelosi and what had gone on. I don't know. When you say we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. I think what she's saying, I think she was referencing the the Black Caucus, um, that they hadn't been supportive of the progressive policies that she thinks are important for African Americans. So she's saying you haven't you haven't supported African Americans right. enough. But and, she's and saying so so if you're African American, you have to think a certain way in order to be a you know represent your race, so to speak. I, that's completely racist and inappropriate in my view. So that's an example from from Presley. Omar, her anti-Semitism has been proven 
time and again. She had said things about Israel has, quote, hypnotized the world, that Israel is doing evil, talking about Jewish lawmakers having allegiance to a foreign country. You probably saw fairly recently within the last couple of weeks, she said September 11th was, quote, some people did something. And then just a couple of days ago, she was proposing new BDS legislation, which has been widely denounced by Democrats and Republicans as anti-Semitic. Rashida Tlaib, in a Yahoo News interview, she said she, quote, gets a calming feeling when she thinks about the Holocaust. She praised Arabs for working with Nazis to kill Jews. AOC has defended Omar on all of her comments. She's also talked about how we should not be showing pictures or video of 9-11 because it's, quote, unquote, triggering. And not a single one of those women has denounced the violence from the left. And what I mean is the Antifa violence in Portland a couple weeks ago, where that journalist Andy No was beat up, had to go to the hospital with a brain bleed, like a very serious injury nor have they denounced the Antifa violence against the um, ICE detention center that happened in Washington's Washington State just a couple days ago. So we can, again, we can kind of nitpick whether or not that's anti-American, un-American, racist, xenophobic, anti-Semitic, although some of those things I think are blatantly those things. But do you understand how there are many people in the U.S. who look at the squad, as they're known, who read those comments and think, hmm, that's not really representative of the America that I want to be. That's not, that's not representative of the America that I envision for my children. I think that you just picked a couple quotes that were in some cases two, three, four words long, and I think they're completely taken out of context. I would like to see the rest of the actual quote. For example, I don't think any of these congresswomen have downplayed 9-11. You know, the quote that you picked was taken out of context. I think even Omar, um, there was one comment she made that she sincerely apologized for to the extent that it was uh, interpreted as anti-Semitic, but uh, her main point in making those comments was that she thought that the U.S. government was doing too much for Israel. She's a supporter of the Palestinian state. Uh, She thinks there's violence committed by Israelis uh, against Palestinians and that the United States should not be supporting that. And that's really what she's referring to. So I think to pick and choose like a few words here and there and and say for any of these people, uh, you know, I think I think those the language that you just use is taken out of context. I don't think any of it has been has been uh, uh, racist, um, but it's interesting that you thought it it was. Some of the stuff that you just said reminded me of, you know, I know conservatives have complained over the years about identity politics, and maybe you can explain what you think that is. What does that mean to you? Well, it's exactly what you started our conversation with. You, you read Trump's tweet and immediately um, honed in on the fact that these are four quote-unquote women of color when those four women were not explicitly called out in their, that tweet, that their race certainly was not mentioned. So that's that's a great example so right there. Isn't it just the opposite, though? When Trump said that, go back to your own countries, isn't he playing identity politics instead of talking about the policies of these four women? Again, I know he disagrees with them. Presley has called for his impeachment. Um, he doesn't like Omar. Conservatives seriously hate uh, AOC. We've had an episode on that. Why isn't he complaining about their policies and staying instead of saying, go back to your countries? Would he say that to a white person? Isn't Trump playing identity politics with these four women? I understand what you're saying. I honestly, sincerely don't think it has anything to do with their race. I think it is more of a sentiment in response to what many, including me, consider comments like the ones I just read. And I hear you. You want to read the full context. That's great. I wanted to do the same with the list of you know, racial offenses that you listed from Trump. So no issues there. But I think that sentiment of basically, if you 
you don't like America, if you don't like what it stands for, and, and we may disagree on how patriotic those women are and if they truly love this country or not, but I think Trump's sentiment was, and this is why I think it hasn't been as critiqued by many on the right, is basically if you don't like it here, leave. Go somewhere else, you know. Uh, but how you is know, that, I mean, how is that okay here? to say that? He's saying it because these women uh, presumably have... Um, come from families that might have been immigrants right uh all of them that's why he's able to say go back to the countries from which you came he couldn't say that about a white person right i mean this idea that if you're criticizing you know me if you're criticizing policies that you are somehow you're somehow speaking badly about our country that's not true none of them have said anything badly about our country uh he ran on a campaign about complaining about the state of our country and the state of the country under Obama and saying we need to make it great again, make America great again. But those America are policy issues, right? So the, if you turn it around, wouldn't that apply to him? I mean, he's he when he, he ran on this idea that, you know, he had these criticisms of what was going on in our government, that doesn't mean he's hates our country. I mean, saying make, make America great again doesn't mean that. You and I don't say that to each other when we're talking about you might be disappointed that a majority of the states have laws that allow abortion to take place. I'm disappointed in our lack of gun laws in this country. And we have these conversations and neither one of us would ever say to each other, go back to where you came from. If you don't like America, go back to where you came from. That's in of itself, even despite the the, the racism in that statement, to say that if you are in Congress and critical of of certain policies that you should leave America. That's an awful thing to say. It honestly doesn't bother me that that much. And I, I understand what you're saying. Again, I thought it was obnoxious for him to say it, although I think politically, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, I think the response from the squad and the response from Democrats has been very interesting. And I don't think it positions them well as we go into 2020. Let's hold that for just a second. But how can you, could you could he say that to a white person? Uh, I mean, I suppose. I, I don't I don't know. I mean Go I back to where you came from? Sure. I mean how, we could how say is that? that. I mean, has he ever would he ever you know, say to a person of European descent like me and you, uh, or like I say, Joe Biden or someone like that, yeah. go back to where you came from? No. Yeah. Probably so not. That, and again, I how does that not make it racist? In of itself. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that that is inherently racist. Telling someone to go back to quote where they came from is not discriminatory. It's not prejudice. It's, uh, you know, and that's the, that's the core of what racism is. So you may not like that, but it's no, not we, inherently discriminating. It is. It is inherently discriminating. That's why people uh, of color have come out in various opinion, you know, pieces since then saying, oh, well, you know, I'm Chinese American. I was born here. And when I was little, you know, someone said, go back to where you came from. And that was extremely hurtful and, and racist. That's racist. It was said to that child based on the color of their skin or the way they look uh, ethnicity wise. That term, go back to where you came from, can only be used and is only used in a racist context. Yeah, I just think the sentiment is still, and you don't like this, but the sentiment is still one that I agree with, meaning to someone like me, and you and I clearly disagree on this, I don't think, I think you would be hard pressed to find many people who think that Ilhan Omar loves America. I just think she has demonstrated time and time again that she has a lot of disdain for this country, policy-wise or otherwise. Why do you think that? Because of her... Isn't she in Congress trying to enact, you know, enact reforms 
that she thinks are better for this country? How does that make her un-American or seem to be hateful? I didn't say she was un-American. I just don't, I don't perceive her as loving this country. Why? Because of some of the examples that I already said. And I think the same is true for someone like Ayanna Pressley, someone like uh, Rashida Tlaib and AOC. They, I just, they speak so negatively. Everything about America is wrong. Everything needs to be fixed. Everything is racism and victimhood. And they, I mean, I appreciate that they want to try to push those things. Well, that's exactly what Trump Trump didn't run on victimhood and racism. No, he ran on what you just said. Things need to be improved, you know. Correct, exactly but he said it in the spirit of America is the greatest country on on earth, and I don't think I don't truly All four believe. Four of them have said that numerous times. They've yeah, said numerous I, times how much they love America. Perhaps I have a hard time believing it. This, I really do. And I think that that coming out of Trump, that disbelief that they love America, is 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 a, is of itself an indicator that he's driven by racism. I mean, I still, like, I want to push you more on if you can't turn around and say that statement to a white person, if he doesn't say that to white people, then how is it not racist? I don't always assume racism is the intention. And I think through our conversations on different issues, I think sometimes that's kind of your first stop, and it's just not my first stop. I just don't assume racism uh, is the intention there. I I did want to ask you this, though. There is a poll that just came out. There are two interesting polls that were released in the last week as of the date of this recording, so basically July. Um, The first is a poll from Rasmussen. I wanted to know what you thought about this statement, Shelley. The Rasmussen poll showed that 32% of Democrats say it's racist for any white politician to criticize the political views of a politician of color. What do you think about that? I do not think that it's racist to criticize the views of another. I think that's in fact what Trump was just doing. <laughs> he's he's unhappy with the policies of this of these of these women and so he's calling them racist and un-American. And then furthermore, 80% of Democrats, this is the same Rasmussen poll, believe that president is racist. Obviously, you agree with that. 85% of Republicans think the racism charges by his opponents are politically motivated. I agree with that. And then it talks about, most importantly, non-affiliated or independent voters um, uh, are basically evenly divided on that question. But I'm glad to hear that you agree, and I I knew you would, that it's not racist um, to criticize a political view of the politician of color. It seems like often when conservatives do criticize uh, a black Democrat, and let's use Obama. Obama was kind of the, the start of this blanket racism charge. I'm not saying Obama himself, but it certainly felt like during the Obama presidency, any time any conservative, a white conservative, would criticize Obama's policies, immediately it's because they're racist, which just kind of eroded the value or the meaning of the word racism. But the reverse isn't true, right? When you have Democrats criticizing black conservatives, a white Democrat, you know, criticizing black conservatives, disagreeing with someone like Colin Powell, or maybe some analysis done by leading black conservative pundits, someone like Thomas Sowell, uh, Condoleezza Rice, whomever it may be, the reverse isn't true. The media is not so hip to kind of label that white Democrat a racist. And so feels like there's a little bit of a double standard there, if that makes sense. Well, that's interesting. And I do think, and maybe this is where that poll comes from, my impression during the Obama administ- uh, administration was a lot of the vehement criticism of him wouldn't have happened if he was white. So I did think that a couple times, and I can't remember when so you're what the issue racism. was, where I thought, 
you know, a lot of people agree the birtherism movement was was racist. And then there were some other things during his administration where I thought people were critical in a way that they wouldn't have been if he was white. So I do think it is important to recognize, I think Nancy Pelosi and the centrist Democrats have been critical of the squad. And I actually think there's some racism behind that. So you think there's racism everywhere, Shelley, everywhere. Yeah, no, no, I think it's important to to kind of think about these things. Would this, would this be happening if these four women were white? Is there some inherent, you and I have talked about inherent bias, and actually I wanted to talk about that explicit versus implicit racism because um, I read a piece by Sean King, who's an African-American activist and journalist. He did a piece in the wake of this uh, tweet in the last couple of days, and he talks about Im- implicit racism versus explicit racism. He says, you know, the difference between implicit bias and explicit bias, corporations around the country, uh, as you know, have been doing training on implicit bias. The theory is that um, otherwise well-meaning employees can accidentally be racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic in a way they might not even really realize that they are their being. Um, it's a, it's the notion that people unknowingly or unconsciously discriminate against others. You and I talked about this when we talked about the Phoenix Barbie doll incident. When I see it, I'm thinking, you know, would a white family have been treated like that by the police? Now, with explicit bias, what that is, is that's bias that actually, you know, violates the law, is, you know, saying something, uh, be, being racist on, on your job. You would lose your job if, if that were the case. In fact, he says that on Trump's website, the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, defines potentially unlawful conduct to include, quote, insults, taunting, ethnic epithets, such as making fun of a person's foreign accent or comments like, quote, go back to where you came from, whether made by supervisors or coworkers, to be an example of unlawful conduct that should not be taking place in the workplace. That's explicit bias, even according to, you know, the code that what's on Trump's EEOC website. I actually think that it's important to tune into implicit biases. And, you know, we talked about this with Phoenix Barbie doll. Now we're talking about it with respect to the Obama administration, whether Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, has dealt with these congresswomen in a racist way. I think it's really important to think about that and acknowledge it. Yes, that doesn't mean that I'm crying racism all over the place. I'm saying as a society, we need to tune into that in order to diminish racism. We need to be aware of it and acknowledge it. But Trump's tweet is an example of explicit racism because he, you know, he says this, you know, go back to your country, especially when he's saying it to Americans. Both are are a problem and need to be recognized. And that Trump's tweet is so explicit that, you know, he'd be fired for it, I think, in the private workplace. Well, I think we'll agree to disagree on the larger question of if, if Trump's a racist and then this specific example of this tweet, if it's if it's racist by Trump. I don't automatically, I understand what you're saying about trying to understand implicit and explicit biases, acknowledging racism, but I also just don't jump to that racist card in any situation. And so it feels like sometimes some on the left do that automatically. It's racist. Whatever it is, it's racist. Uh, The motivation, the intention was racism. I just don't think most people are that way. And I appreciate the goal of trying to minimize or mitigate racism, but I think in order to do that, we need to have a true understanding of what really is racism, right? And I do think that there are, there are so many things that are labeled as quote unquote racist 
that really aren't. And I think that diminishes that goal that you're referencing around racism is a, is a serious issue. We both agree on that. We've talked about that before. But on the other hand, labeling everything racist and always having this racism outrage that, that seems to be happening most frequently from those on the left doesn't help to drive to that goal of reducing well, I agree, racism. I, I agree if with everything is racist, nothing is racist, right? I mean, that's obviously an extreme way to say it, but it's it's true. It, it just well, diminishes I, I, the, the value, so to speak, of understanding what racism is if everything is considered racist. Certainly incorrectly calling someone racist, I agree with you that that diminishes the value of it. But remember, uh, you and I are, are Caucasian. What we see as uh, racist might not be what someone who is a person of color who has lived their whole life uh, experiencing racism, you know, walking into a, a store or getting denied on an application for something and, and having these multiple, you know, instances of racism, they might be more in tune to it than, than you and I are. So I think it's important to kind of try to see that from an, an, a view outside our own. I, I agree with you 100% there. And I, I take much more stock if I'm having a face-to-face conversation with someone who is a, a quote-unquote person of color, I am always interested to hear about their stories and their experiences and their perspectives. I think that is a much better way to try and truly learn and drive some understanding and awareness about those issues. But in this political spectrum where everything is racist all the time, it just dilutes the meaning of the word, I think. Well, how about then all the people of color who have come out lately in the last couple of days and said, people told me to go back to where I came from and that's racist. Yeah, I think that's terrible. And I would never tell anybody that. You would never tell anybody that. Right, but is it racist? President Trump said it. I don't know if it's racist in the true definition of the word racism, but I think it's a terrible thing to say. We would never say that. I would be appalled if my children ever said that, of course. Isn't it based on their race? I don't think so. I really, I honestly don't think it is. It doesn't happen to white people. I I mean, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that piece. Um, How about the chant? Did that bother you? The chant, send her back. It's pretty much quoting what Trump had said this this time with respect to Omar in particular, send her back, send her back. Um, That bothered apparently a lot of conservatives. I guess uh, several members of Congress met with Vice President Pence privately and said they were really disturbed after this uh, chant happened at a rally. I'm not sure why they were so disturbed about that and not about our president saying the exact same thing, you know, days before. But is there anything about that chant that you found more disturbing than, you know, what the president said? No, the chants don't bother me. Just like when during the 2016 2016 campaign, there were chants about lock her up, about Hillary Clinton. And ultimately, let's kind of pivot into what this all means, if anything, for the 2020 election. I mean, ultimately, this outrage about Trump's, this outrage about Trump's tweets was utterly predictable, right? But really, it most matters in terms of influencing swing voters. What I mean by that is Republicans like me, I'm still going to vote for Trump. Democrats are going to vote for their candidate. The question is, does, does this type of situation influence independent or swing voters? And if they view Trump as racist, even if they do, is that is that enough to outweigh potentially an independent's feelings about some of these what I would consider very progressive policies that Democrats are, are pitching for 2020 around decriminalizing illegal immigration, free health care, forgiving student debt, you know, on and on and on. So you and I can debate this all day long. It's not going to change either of our minds. But what does it mean for independence? What do you think about these types yeah. of things for the 2020 vote? And I would add, by the way, there was just another poll, and I'll post this on Red Man Blue Mom. I don't have it in front of me. 
there was a poll that was just done late last week after Trump's tweet about the, you know, go back to where you came from. And the percentage of people that were polled that view Trump as racist after that whole kerfuffle actually decreased. So is this media firestorm, is this what I would consider kind of an overreaction, not to say it's not worthy of debate and conversation, but an overreaction, is that having the intended effect among voters? What do you think about all that? I worry about that for the reason that you just said, um, giving that poll as an example. I would hope that people would hear this tweet and not vote for him, uh, but I think based on the terrible things he said during the 2016 election and him still getting elected, that I'm probably wrong about that. So I worry about that. I also wonder if he was being politically uh, strategic here. I mean, I think what he, some, some people have said what he's trying to do here is instead of having to run against moderate Democrats, he is uh, setting this up so that it looks like he's running against the more left-leaning Democrats like the squad. He thinks he'll have a better chance. I mean, the right hates these women and he wants to capitalize on that that hatred. So I worry about that and that makes me um, dislike the tweet also because I feel like he's either being deceitful in his uh, political strategy uh, and trying to sway the election or he's being racist, which like I say, I wish would, would be condemned by the Republicans, but uh, for some reason it's not. Like you said, I think most people on the right really dislike the squad. To be clear, for me personally, not because they're women, not because they are minorities, but because I hate their policies. So I just want to be crystal clear on that. And I I do think that that's representative of the majority of conservatives or Republicans. I don't think you have a lot of people out there that hate them just because of the color of their skin. But again, it doesn't matter what the right thinks. We're going to vote for Trump most likely anyway. The question is independence. Does Does the squad emerge as kind of the face, so to speak, of the Democratic Party, is that good news or bad news with independence? And I just wanted to add one more thing, um, because there's been some polling data that came out on that as well, just in the last week or so, um, from Axios. We will post this on Red Mom, Blue Mom. Basically, this poll was taken uh, taken in May, uh, included a thousand likely general election voters who are white and have two years or less of college education. Now, that white, non-college educated voter was critical for Trump's election in 2016, but as this Axios analysis says, that 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 group is really needed by Democrats to swing for 2020, especially in kind of hotly contested House districts. Here's what was really interesting, and you know me, I love AOC. AOC was, uh, it sounds like she's the most widely recognized member of the Democratic Party. She was recognized by 74% of voters in the poll only 22% had a favorable view of her. Uh, Ilhan Omar, she was recognized by 53% of the voters, 9% had a favorable view. So this idea of the squad, and not just because they're the squad and some of their progressive ideas, but also because at least AOC and I think some of the others identify themselves as socialists. Socialism is not perceived very positively by voters, I think, across the country, probably even among moderate Democrats, certainly not among independents and obviously not Republicans. So between between kind of these progressive policies and and their name recognition, are they becoming the face of the Democrats and is that going to hurt Democrats in 2020? I hope it is. Like I say, I think that's one of Trump's strategies here. Um, He's trying to take these more progressive uh, congresswomen and sort of label them and make their some some of them have very reasonable progressive policies but to label them uh, socialist and extremist and far left it 
turns that, as you mentioned, very important uneducated white voters vote. Uh, and Maybe I, not uneducated, but low, lower educated. Lower educa- yeah. um, without college education. Yes, yes. And that's actually one of the, uh, I find one of the ugly things about this. I think what, besides being politically strategic here, what he's doing in his strategy is dividing the country. He's playing identity politics. Like I say, he's, you know, us versus them, and he's using people of color to do it. And I, that's one of the ugliest things about this, in my view, because what he's doing is he's stoking this potentially, you know, even if, even if it's implicit and unintentional, racist sentiment in some of these voters and pulling them closer to him as a result. I think that's what he did in 2016. I think that's what he's doing now. I think it's particularly ugly, brings out the, one of the worst things in our country, race, racism, and I think it's terrible. Well, I, I disagree, and I'm not saying you just said this, but I think there's often a perspective or a perception that the majority of Trump's voters are ignoramuses, racists. You know, obviously speaking for myself, I don't fit into that category. But I do agree with you on the divisiveness, although I would push back and say it's not just Trump that's driving that. Um, in the last week, uh, there have been, and there have been these comments consistently throughout, I think, his presidency so far. Joe Biden was interviewed last week on the 18th of July. There's audio of him talking about basically how Trump's base is racist. Salon.com on July 17th, they published an article with the title said, Republicans will never say that racism is racism. Basically, it's because they're racist. So that divisiveness and trying to do, be it identity politics or just pit us against each other, happens on both sides. And I agree that I think it's disgusting. I don't think it is beneficial to the to the future of the country. And I think as we get into this 2020 election season, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, that was the subject of some of the memes that we learned were coming from Russia and different places to influence the last election um, to get people worked up about uh, race. And it's you know, it's very ugly, and I, I wish that wasn't part of our uh, part of the political strategy of of either party. Yeah, but I do think it's interesting, and maybe you would prove me wrong if we had some time to do some more research. I'm kind of saying this off the cuff, but as I mentioned before, it seems like it is often or usually the left that is the first one to accuse racism. You don't typically have that on the right now. You may think that that's because some of these folks on the right are racist and they don't recognize it in themselves. But I think there's another point of view that says, truly, folks on the right are less likely to assume racism as the cause, as the intention, than those on the left. And I I, I don't know, you know, what that means ultimately, but it just seems like this idea of what is racist, what is not, number one, is being decided by people on the left. But number two, it's always the left that introduces that into the conversation. I'm speaking in generalities right now. You rarely see someone on the right immediately assume racism out of the gate. Well, I think that's in part because one of the platforms of some people on the left is reducing racism and therefore acknowledging it when they see it, acknowledging these you know implicit ways that they see it. Uh, acknowledging explicit ways like what President Trump has just said. So I think it's it's this political making making that important in a political sense in other words making that one of the more important agenda items which is you know reduce racism. I think that that can be done in part by acknowledging it with President Trump's tweet if we can turn around and say it can't you know wouldn't be said to a white person then it's racist. 
Well, I, I think this this idea of the left kind of capitalizes on racism, perhaps with the intent, as you've mentioned, around trying to, to reduce racism in society, which in and of itself is a noble goal. I don't know that that's always their intent. But I did just want to read, as we wrap up here, something for us to think about and maybe for our listeners to think about is this whole idea around Trump's tweets and then the squad's response and then obviously all the back and forth that's been happening over the last couple of days. Um, this, this pundit posited the idea and says, quote, there is as much personal political advantage for the radical upstarts, meaning the AOCs and the Omars, in being perceived as the president's chief antagonists as for the president in branding them as such, meaning that it's a symbiotic relationship, right? When Trump says something like this tweet and then AOC and the squad responds, they're both benefiting from that, right? Well, I, yes, I that was very but the difference, the difference is that these some of these women ran on campaigns uh, that are anti-Trump, right? They ran on this idea that we need to get Trump out of office, everything he stands for is terrible. Yes, they used, you know, him and their opposition to him to help themselves get elected. Similarly, similarly President Trump will run on how terrible they are and how terrible their policies are. The problem is he's using their ethnicities, their heritage, their race, the countries from which their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents came from to diminish them. And, and that's the problem. That's the ugly part that I, you know, I think is, is a real problem. It's normal for politicians to capitalize on, I don't know if it's good, but it's normal for them to capitalize on, disliking another politician and you know competing against another politician but to use race i think again i think at minimum trump's trying to divide the country in a strategic way um using race and using something this ugly and i just think it's it's an ugly moment in our history well we will agree to disagree on whether or not trump's a racist and if if in fact that's his goal ultimately in sitting here today neither of our minds are changed you're you're not going to vote for Trump. I'm not going to vote for whoever the Democratic candidate is. So the question is the independent voters. And I will be very interested, given the political climate that's happening right now, given the divisiveness, given the dramatic, theatrical, political environment that we live in, where everything is in outrage all the time, constantly. I mean, it is exhausting to try and keep up with all of this, as you know, uh, and try to stay informed without completely losing your mind. Uh, ultimately what will independent voters do in future elections i think that's the big question and will the young people come out and vote uh in which case i don't think that you know the squad would be seen as so far left or so far so extreme that's a a whole separate conversation around where where is the future of the country based on very progressive socialist type programs that I know many, many young people, when you see them interviewed about some of these ideas that AOC in particular, who's become kind of the face, I think, of that new incoming generation, man, oh man, that is a scary future, in my opinion, to think about if that's the direction that the country's going. Or maybe it's not, and I maybe we should do an episode on why it is young people support some of the, the policies that uh, the squad supports. Well, in my opinion, it's I'm old and curmudgeon now, but I, I think it's because they don't have the, the life's experience to, to know better. Um, but I know that that's an easy answer. But I agree. Let's let's talk about that in a different episode. Or maybe they're idealistic and not prone to listening to labels that the right places on these people. Perhaps. Maybe they're just interested in their policies. So 
I think you're being very generous when you say that. But yes, let's let's talk about that in a future episode. Well, Shelly, thank you. I really uh, appreciate talking about this. Like you said, it's been kind of consuming the news cycle for the last you know week or so, and there'll be more to come. You know, we can always count on President Trump and, frankly, folks like AOC and Omar and and others to always say things that are interesting and controversial. I have no doubt we'll have more to talk about. It's always fun. I think it's always interesting to learn from each other. When you first suggested doing this topic a couple of days ago, I thought is Trump racist? Well, that's going to be a one minute episode because of course he is. <laughs> so it's always interesting for me to hear, uh, to hear your views and we always, you know, surprise each other. Yeah. I always appreciate learning from your perspective. Um, even when we disagree, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. So appreciate you listening. And as always, uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks listeners. Thanks.